Twain said to Kipling, get your facts first, then you can distort them any way you please. That meaning the research. If you write something and you make a claim in there that is patently absurd, people will lose respect for the story. Welcome to Tapping Creativity, a podcast for the creative community. Yes, it's a podcast for you. Whether you're looking for insight, inspiration, or community, you found yourself in the right place. My name is Matthew Temple. I am the host. And on this podcast, we go into questions, inspirations, challenges of the creative process. It's about connecting with other artists, hearing what other people are struggling with, their wins, their challenges. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe, follow, share. If you really like what you hear, give us a thumbs up or give us some kind of review. And with that, let's hop into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Tapping Creativity. Today I'm taking a little bit of a sideways angle into this, into the question of our inspiration and creative process, because I think that very often as artists, as creatives, we look inside for our inspiration or we look to other artists and like what's uh, living within us. You know, if you look at, say, Adele, who... It's beautiful album 21 was not inspired by world events. It was inspired by events within her own life. And I think that's obviously a very strong place to pull inspiration from. But our guest today uh, obviously has a connection to, uh, to the subject of his most recent book, but is also found inspiration from what's going on in the world, what's in the newspaper, what are the conversations that we're having on this bigger, on this bigger scale. So today we are uh, joined by uh, Eldridge uh, Hain, who his friends call him Reg, and I guess we're now friends, so I'm going to call him Reg too. Reg uh, has his new book is The Bus to Beulah. It's a novel that really goes into the questions of human trafficking immigration, migration, uh, uh, and sort of how it impacts people uh, in on an individual level, while also looking at some of the broader themes around uh, around that. So um, yeah, with uh, no further ado, uh, Reg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. The Bustabula, beautiful novel, by the way, where was your inspiration in writing this novel? Uh, and why this particular topic? Well, uh, inspiration is always, a, uh, you're right, that's an interesting question. My my first two novels, uh, in fact, my first one was totally built on, on the arts. Um, I have been very involved in the creative process and the arts. And uh, uh, my first novel, Billy Bowater, was based on my experiences in North Carolina and Washington to basically try to prevent um, some legislators from killing the National Endowment based on an art show, on a particular photograph in a particular art show uh, that caused enormous controversy. I didn't have to do a lot of research because I lived it. Uh, The second one dealt with environmental issues that I was very involved in uh, on a committee uh, I was appointed to by the governor to look at environmental issues in North Carolina. And this that book sprung from that. This book uh, had nothing to do with my own personal experience, uh, but it was based on an article 
that a friend of mine uh, referred me to uh, that was published in BuzzFeed about four or five years ago called The Coyote. And it was about a man in North Carolina who used to work for the state as a labor organizer, which is to say finding cheap labor for the farmers and got fired and set up a company based on a lot of research in immigration law <clears throat> and um, housing, et cetera. Uh, and his business was to acquire, uh, to apply for and process and acquire temporary seasonal work visas for agricultural workers. Um, to make a very long story short, over the years, he made tens of millions of dollars because he would charge $1,000 per visa and he'd be processing 20, 30,000 a year. Uh, wow. Yeah, his, his giving, he had an office in Mexico, in Monterey, uh, for example, which would help recruit workers. Well, if you're going to recruit workers of that kind in Mexico, then you're going to have some friends and people that are going to be your partners that aren't necessarily the best partners in the world. Uh, human trafficking and drugs are the province of the cartels in Mexico, right. period. I mean, right. that's, that's who you deal with. So, so interesting. So you found this article that you read that inspired you, but yet you obviously have some sort of personal connection if you're going to spend, because I know what it takes to write a novel. You know, you've got uh, over 300 pages here. So if you're going to spend that much time with a subject, with the characters in it, there's also got to be a personal connection. So I'm curious, what drew you to, and what was your personal connection to this topic and this story? Curiosity. I found the fact that Within our society, within North Carolina, almost no one that I know has any idea that over 200,000 people come into this state every year just in the agricultural business to help us, uh, you know, plant, harvest, process, clean, ship, etc. I mean, there's an entire society that underlies the society that we generally know. That nobody knows about. Yeah, um, amazing. I mean, 200,000 people in California, it's probably closer to 2 million. Right. How many of the crops that come out of California are brought in, you know, are, are done with uh, uh, machines? Right. Not very sure. many. Too, during yeah. COVID, we had the issue where, uh, you know, temporary uh, agriculture visas weren't being granted, um, helped to drive up the cost of food and meant a lot of food had to be destroyed because there was no one to pick it. So, yeah. yeah there was a book that a woman gave me that she edited, printed by the University of Texas, called The Human Cost of Food. That was one of the most revealing things I've ever read because it really, it really drew out uh, precisely uh, what is involved uh, My goodness. In, in the cost of people and personnel. Yeah, with all of our food. So I'm I'm curious. Before I I have a, a few other questions, but uh, you know I could do a little sort of read up. But what in your words tell me about this particular story, the Bustabula? Because I want uh, my listeners to get a little insight into the story itself, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the process. Well, the reason I'm a fiction writer is I think that that a story, that a good story, which is 
also based somewhat on fact. I mean, one of the, my favorite quotes from Mark Twain, he gave a piece of advice to Rudyard Kipling when he visited him in Connecticut. And when he left, Twain said to Kipling, remember this, get your facts first, then you can distort them any way you please. So you need to have some basis for it, that meaning the research. It, if you write something and you make a claim in there that is patently absurd, people will, they will lose respect for the story. So how do I get across that point? Well, I chose in this case to have a young woman named Maria Puente, who was raised and educated in, in Mexico, near, near Monterey, uh, by her aunt, since her mother had died in an um, unfortunate street altercation with the cartels and so forth. And she was, and her, that's her mother's sister raised her with the help from her mother's brother, uh, Tomas, who lives in North Carolina and came there with a Mexican company, was subsequently hired to run a big automotive operation for an American, has a green card. He paid for her education and he wants to bring her to live with him now in North Carolina. So she is educated. She has a college degree. She speaks several languages and she is on her way. And he gets her a ride on a bus that's bringing in workers uh, by a guy named um, uh, Albert Waters, uh, Albert Ruffin Waters, known nickname Rough Waters. And his business is to get visas for people and bring them in. And uh, um, he owns the bus company that brings them. So he helped Tomas get her a 1B multi-year visa so he gives her a ride on his bus. Well, at the last stop they make before they get to Beulah, North Carolina, uh, she is in the ladies' room, bathroom, and overhears the two other ladies that are on the bus, all the rest being men, arguing and then in a huge fight because one of the women, the younger of the two, finds out that she is to be a prostitute and not a cook, as she thought. Well, Maria overheard this. And so when the older lady said, what did you hear? She said, I didn't hear anything. But the man who came to pick the other two women up suspects that she did, as did the older lady. So he takes it on his own to grab her and they kidnap her. And they ta he takes her along with the other two women to a secluded house. Um, uh, when her uncle calls to find out why the hell she wasn't on the bus. Where is she? One of the people, the employees of Mr. Waters just panicked, said, well, we don't know. We don't know. He put her off and put her off, put him off. And he finally said she never got on the bus in Monterey. So we're, we're checking to see where she is, but we don't know because she didn't get on the bus. Well, the uncle goes to the local sheriff and they both know that's a complete lie because her aunt had called and said she's on the bus. So the sheriff, in checking around, his talks to the SBI. They said, um, you know, unless you've got something concrete, we can't activate. But I will tell you this. This was a friend of his in the SBI. You don't have long. If you don't find her, then she's gone forever. Right. And that's so, what, and that's what really launches 
us into the story of the parties working together in order to uh, uncover this. And I think one of the things that was so lovely about this is that, you know, first of all, it's just, you know, just right in, even in the very beginning, right? You're kind of, it's your epilogue that just kind of sets us up for like, oh my gosh, what is going to come next? Uh, or your prologue, I should say, you know, you've got this story that also sort of weaves in these, you know, now you have a real human connection to a larger event. So I'm kind of curious, you know, there's the, as a novelist, now this is your third novel, getting to create and understand and know these characters is something that you become pretty good at. But then you also had to do your research. You just mentioned this great quote from uh, Mark Twain. So you had to get your facts straight. What is your process of doing your research in order to make sure your facts are straight? Because you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with immigration law, you're dealing with local law enforcement, you're dealing with FBI, you're dealing with a lot of stuff that required research. What, tell me about that process. Well, I have been around a fairly long time. I'm not a, a young fellow, so I've got a lot of contacts in North Carolina. I ran for the state Senate in 96. Um, I am very active in North Carolina politics, which means I have a lot of connections. So I went to the Research Triangle Institute, which is part of a, of a place in North Carolina between Chapel Hill and Raleigh and, and Durham, the three major universities, <clears throat> and got a big study that they had done. I knew the director. And from there, I talked to uh, individuals in, in reasonably knowledgeable positions within the Department of, of Labor, Commerce, uh, the Attorney General's office, um, to find out specifics on that Department of Health uh, through labor. And I just, I spent eight months to a year. I went to certain, I went to some, got contacts with a number of very large farmers in, in the state, uh, Christmas tree farmers, as well as Eastern farmers. Um, so. Um, so you basically are saying you're kind of, a, you built yourself a network, um, but then you also, you know, proactively went and, and you were pulling in yeah. books and you were articles and and research that you were able to find access to yeah yeah and i mean even down to a local level you know talk trying to get information from a local sheriff's department because you know if you've got a county that only has a population of a couple of thousand people and you bring six thousand people in uh because you know the little farms in north carolina are going by the board like in all over the country so you have a big farmer in California, he might farm 50,000, 60,000 acres. He doesn't own them all, yeah. but, but he farms them. And it's the same in North Carolina. So we don't have a lot of little family farms. They got some really big damn farms and they need a lot of people, but they're not people who live in the little town. The little towns are drying up. Sure. And these people are living in labor camps uh, that are spread out, some visible and some not. Wow let's kind of go back a little bit. So I didn't share all of this in my introduction, but you know, you were in uh, active duty. You also earned a bronze star during that time. You worked for, you've had corporate jobs. As you mentioned, you ran for state Senate. You've had a lot of experience and now you've become, you know, you've written three novels. What was your path into becoming a novelist? I'm a reader. <laughs> I mean, everybody who writes books at one point in their life was an avid reader of books. I've also got a big mouth and I was nicknamed at 
at Duke by my roommate, the one man conversation, because I like telling stories. I like hearing stories, uh, but I mainly read. And, uh, you know, at some point where you feel strongly about something, in particular, I guess, in my first novel, that uh, was an issue that was part of my life. And the people that are in it are people that I knew, uh, obviously not named the same, but uh, it was a story that I had to tell uh, to me. Uh, the second was a very similar thing. This one is different in that I didn't have any background, but the issue itself is uh, uh, pretty topical today, uh, you know, immigration. And there's a just a, a monumental amount of, amount of ignorance out there uh, and emotion. And the people that are using that emotion for their own personal benefit, to me, should be ashamed of themselves because... Yeah. They're putting out a lot of lies about a group of people who virtually uh, sustain us. Right. You know, and I and I think that you're you're by doing that through story by actually putting the human connection to it is so vital because it's so easy to other other people, right? And even when we read about it in the news, very often it's about statistics. You even threw out, you know. You, you know, 200,000 people. Well, 200, how do I have a connection to 200,000 people? It's, that doesn't make any sense. So by kind of like coming into it, um, it was really, uh, and I think an important way of, of bringing, uh, of putting a spotlight or bringing attention to the, to the topic. Um, but if you go back, you know, just kind of like take me back to that first novel where you now have a manuscript, had a career, you've had a fulfilling life, then you bring some of your passion into this creative endeavor. And now you have a manuscript and you have to do something with that manuscript. It's got to go from being on your computer or a stack of sheets on your desk to being a published novel. What was that process like? Well, I a, a friend of mine who is a writer, who is a very successful uh, screenwriter and playwright, encouraged me to go to a, a weekend from sponsored by the North Carolina Writers Network, which is a statewide operation. And I said, you know, I really, I'm not really a writer. I like reading and writing and stuff. I've done that, that, that. So he said, no, no, just go. So I did. And I went to a number of classes and seminars um, in particular that a woman uh, really extraordinary gave. And um, I, I just, decided right then I said I have a story and I've always had this story that I want to tell and she can teach me and so I spent I eventually was the vice president of the North Carolina Writers Network of course you were <laughs> and, and, and spent a lot of time with this this person and sent her some early work um, she got a copy of something that I'd written a chapter and she said, Reg, let me tell you something. I'll give you some advice that a teacher of mine once said. If you decide you're going to write a story about a bear, bring on the bear. So I said, so let me ask you. You're saying that I, she said, you're wasting a lot of time and you're going to lose somebody. By the time they get to page 20, they're going to say, I don't give a damn what's happening because I'm bored. So she said, you've got to get someone engaged in a story in the people, in the life, in whatever. And in the Bustabula, I hope, and I think from what you say, 
and I grab you with the prologue and you say, whoa, what's this? Now, yep. my first book didn't, um, I mean, my second book didn't have a prologue, but I threw you into the action pretty quick. I, yep. I brought the bear on pretty fast. So uh, I learned, you know, from the conference and then subsequently I took courses and, and studied under this person. Uh so and basically the, the, the short and long of it was it was a it was a process that took many years of going from ideation to draft to you know right. pen to paper to draft to more drafts to more drafts to more drafts until you finally had right. something that somebody said this is worth me making an investment and in printing a whole bunch of Reg's words on this paper. Right. Yeah. right. Well, everything what we do does take that. I mean, I, I once had the privilege of listening to. Andre Segovia, great guitarist, and he was an older man when I met him and knew him. And I said something to the effect of, you still practice? He said, I practice every day. I write every day. Uh, a, a, a musician plays their instrument or they sing or whatever every day. I mean, that that, that, that is so key, right? Because if you don't do that, you're, I mean, and it's the same thing, athletes, right? Well, if, if someone's yeah. hitting 70 home runs in a, in a season, why do they need to practice? But they need to practice in order to hit 70 home runs, right? How many golf balls, how many golf balls does Tiger Wood hit in his life? I mean, you couldn't calculate that high. Right, exactly. So I want to ask you well, one other question, uh, actually, yeah. uh, and that is, since you had this quite an illustrious career before you uh, became a writer, uh, how did your non-writing career uh, help you in this career as a as an author? Discipline. I mean, if you're going to be successful in managing my in the business I was in, we had offices in five, six different countries, and you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand employees, and uh, you get hit every day with a lot of stuff and you have to focus you have to focus yourself down and say this is where we're going to go this is how we got to get there and you just have to have the discipline uh, to make yourself get there it's the same thing with writing you know this is a story i'm going to tell and it's going to take a lot of work and writing is basically rewrites Everybody I've ever known, every author I've ever known has said, you know, the first draft might be the skeleton, but then it takes a lot of work to put the meat and the organs and everything in it. Very so, true. you know, it's just, you know, somebody said, I want to write. What do you suggest? And I said, put your butt in a seat and start writing. <laughs> that I, I couldn't have said it any better. That's pretty much uh, the ex exact way I have phrased it many, many times. How do you do this? Yeah, well, you sit your butt down and you, you know, you work out your fingers. That's how it goes. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, this was really wonderful, Reg. I really appreciate you taking your time, and I appreciate all that goes into writing any book, uh, particularly this book, The Bus to Beulah. It is out now, uh, Spark Press. You can find it pretty much wherever you buy your books. And if where you buy your books, you don't see it, uh, ask them to order you a copy. Uh, really beautifully done. Reg, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It has been a thank pleasure you. and an honor. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Tapping Creativity is brought to you in part by We Strive a nonprofit organization that works to lead the world towards stronger, healthier, and more sustainable community.
WeStrive is currently at an exciting juncture in that coming out of the pandemic, it is in a place of looking to see how can it now, as a established organization, be of greatest support to the creative communities as well as communities who are striving in any way they know how to engage in co-creating a better world. If you're interested in learning more, visit WeStrive.org.